And you may be seated this evening. Super glad that you are here. And uh, I would, listen, I would rather be here in this church than in the best hospital in Texarkana. I don't know what you think, but I am glad that I'm here. And I'm so glad that you're here as well. Um, you know, Christmas, uh, when I was a boy, and I think about, my message is entitled, uh, Christmas Through Ancient Eyes. And we're going to be looking at Christmas, not just the day. When we, uh, Christmas weekend, Christmas Eve weekend, we'll be talking about the day of Christ's birth and the angels and shepherds and what was going on then. But I want to look at Christmas more than just a day, but as a, as a season that's a part of God's overarching plan that began, uh, that was instituted before the world began. But when I was a boy, I would see Christmas through Charlie Brown's eyes. I don't know if Charlie Brown is very popular today, but in the paper, you know, he tells you how many days till Christmas. It's still in our little paper. I get an online version of it today, but Charlie Brown would tell you, you know, about Christmas. And if you remember the Charlie Brown story, it was so profound. Uh, you know, back, of course, I say back then. I mean, I'm whew, 66, but when I was six, uh, Christmas, you know, was still pretty much secularized. And that's what Charlie Brown said. It should be more than just commercialized about presents and trees and gifts and Linus finally had to read the real Christmas story from the gospel of Luke to him and it kind of captured the hearts of people but it educated many generations of people and I don't even know if they show him anymore but it's sure worth a look on YouTube. Uh, he reminds us how many days and of course Santa and gifts and all those things are fun. I love them. Listen if you don't love presents give me your presents. I love to get Christmas presents. I mean I love to be a part of it and unfortunately I'm at the age where I order my own presence. Anybody else? <laughs> okay, how to get off on that. Okay, but the real meaning, the word Christmas means Christ mass, or in some Christian traditions, the mass of Christ, mass referring to a worship service. So it is a worship season, a worship time to celebrate what's called the incarnation of Christ. Mary, as we'll read later, Mary was a virgin that God somehow caused to be pregnant, and Jesus was born, and he was born fully God and fully man. It was the incarnation when God took on human flesh, and that's what Christmas is real about, really about, but Christmas, again, is not just a day. Christmas is a part of God's plan of redemption. As I'll show you tonight, it is, a, it is something that was in the mind of God. I mean, you know, Adam and Eve's sin didn't catch God by mistake, by accident. God was not surprised. God knew that the human race would fall away from him. So he didn't want to have robots to worship him and follow him, but he wanted to have people who had willfully tasted of evil and sin and then those that had willfully come to him so we would be in free will association with him. And that he had this plan before the creation of the world. And the birth of Christ is only a part of this Christmas story or this salvation story because salvation ultimately ends on the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus that offers us eternal life. So this is what we're going to talk about, the birth of Christ. Even if you're uh, not a believer per se or if you're not a Christian, uh, you know, it's very popular today to say that I'm an agnostic or I'm an atheist. It, you know, it's worth pausing to think about the fact that time itself is divided by his birth. 
particularly when I was younger, it was more referred to as B.C. and A.D. B.C. is before Christ, and A.D. is not after death. It's a Latin word. It's anno domino, which means in the year of our Lord. But if you'll go to places, for example, when we went to the Smithsonian, uh, I don't know, several years ago, we were in Washington, and we went and we were looking at different, uh, at, at, uh, at, at different uh, science, you know, the evolution where the monkeys were and everything, and we never saw the words B.C. and A.D., what we saw was BC, we saw was CE, common era, and BCE, before the common era. So the secular world is just gradually replacing the birth of Christ with something common. How many know there's nothing that, at all that was common about the birth of Jesus Christ? So today I want to, show, do, to look at what I call um, Christmas through ancient eyes. And I want to go back to the book of Genesis and see this, this, this prediction of what Christ would do in the world. I want to see Christmas through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. I, I want to see Christmas through the eyes of not only these, the, the past figures there, but Christmas through the eyes of Mary, the mother of Jesus. But how many know not everybody loves Christmas? We'll talk about Herod tonight. Herod tried, as we'll see, tried to kill children because he didn't want King Jesus. We'll talk about a woman named Anna. We'll talk about a, a man named Simeon and look at Christmas, not just the birth on Christmas morning, but Christmas is really a part of God's salvation plan that started before the creation of the world in the mind of God and was declared through Moses and manifest through Jesus Christ and will be lived out for all eternity. So let's explore it together today. We're going to begin Genesis chapter 3 and look at Christmas through eyes of the prophets. Now, we often don't think of Moses as a prophet, but he's described in Deuteronomy as one of the greatest prophets who ever lived. And Moses wrote presumably the book of Genesis, and he recorded these words uh, that God was saying to Satan. Now, of course, contextually, uh, Adam and Eve are in the garden. Satan somehow, and I don't know how, but somehow he inhabits or uses this snake or this serpent to entice or tempt Adam and Eve to turn their backs on God. And after they'd eaten from this forbidden fruit and were cast from the garden, here's the words that God said. And as soon as they had sinned, hope was introduced into the world about God's plan where you and I could live with God for all eternity. Listen to what, uh, what God told uh, Satan. He said, your descendants and her descendants will be enemies. Your descendants. In other words, the descendants of Satan were not baby demons. How many know Satan is not procreating demons? There are people that are demonic, and these are the ones that he's talking about here. The, his descendants are those that follow evil, those that reject God, those that go the wrong way, those that stay in their sinful condition, whereas the descendants of Eve or the descendants of the woman represent those who would one day turn and begin to become believers and followers of Jesus Christ. And this, uh, this, this uh, declaration was there is that there would be enmity, there would be war, there would be enemies. And how many know certain, some people are tolerant of Christians, but some people are antagonistic. We heard of a, of, of a Christian in the Middle East today where two pastors were killed in the Middle East simply because they were Christians. 
Twenty-some church buildings were burned down for no other reason except they were Christians filled with loving people who simply wanted to see other people meet the Savior of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's a hatred, there's an enmity there. But here's the phrase that we're looking at. One of Eve's descendants will do what? Crush your head, Satan, and you will bite his heel. Now, I asked Kimmy to find me a picture, and this is the best we came up with. Uh, but, you know, that's kind of the picture that's there. I didn't know Satan was black and yellow, but apparently. But what I want you to see <laughs> is, this is, a, this is a prediction of Jesus crushing Satan because the cross was the place. Now, in my understanding, this he would bite your heel refers to the crucifixion. That Satan would harm you, but ultimately you would crush him and you would destroy him. It is the sense that evil is limited, evil is painful, even is harmful. It brought Christ to the grave, but it did not take his life because Jesus is the ultimate victor. I can remember this fall. I don't know why, but there tends to be more little baby copperheads in the, in the fall than there are in the spring. And I can remember working in the yard, and there were two or three this year when I would be outside in my work boots, and they were little bitty things. Believe me, if they were big, I would run the other way and get my gun or give it to my wife and let her take care of him. But, <laughs> but those little snakes just automatically, as soon as I saw it, I would just take my boot and I would crush that thing's head. And sometimes if the dirt was soft, it wouldn't kill it, and I'd have to just keep on mashing it. Well, that's a picture in Genesis of what one day Jesus Christ would do in the world. It is a picture that not only was he born, but he would die and be resurrected, and the power of sin would be broken. Well, how many know for, before Jesus was able to die on the cross that we celebrated Easter, he had to be born in this season of Christmas? And it doesn't matter to me. I know all the arguments about Christmas Day is really not December 25th. What difference does that make? Bottom line is he was born, and we're celebrating his birth, and that's a good thing. And how many know his life should be celebrated all the time? That's just the day the world celebrates him. So I want to give you kind of life lessons as we look through these ancient eyes. And as we look through the eyes of Moses, we see that one day Jesus will triumph over Satan through not only his birth but his death and his resurrection, that ultimately he brings victory. Evil brought sin into the world, but Jesus brings victory and salvation. Come on, somebody give the Lord a good hand. Let me read another New Testament passage about this, and uh, I call it life lesson number two. But God in his foreknowledge knew that we would sin as the human race. He knew that people would sin and that people would need a Savior. First Peter says these words, First Peter 1 verse 18, You know that God paid a ransom to save you. Imagine in the pawn shop, if you're in an unfortunate state and you have to take your gun in, and they said, well, we'll give you $200, and you can redeem your gun if you pay $200 back to us. Well, God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from who? Your ancestors, hearkening back to Genesis and the ancestors of Adam and Eve, God paid a ransom. It was the precious blood of Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. 
Remember John the Baptist introduced Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But notice verse 20. Here's the verse I wanted to read to you. God chose Jesus as your ransom before the creation of the world. So somehow in the mind of God, God didn't want to just be worshipped by an angel, but he wanted to be worshipped by what has been termed human beings created in his image who willfully acknowledge that their ways and the ways of evil were wrong and the ways of a righteous God were good and holy and true and just. And God knew that. And I think that kind of explains the whole process of time and the fall of man. But God knew this. Uh, but there's another prophet that I want to mention that, that, that gives us eyes to see. His name is Isaiah, and Isaiah prophesied many things about Christ. In uh, Isaiah 7, 14, Isaiah said that the Lord himself, now this is 700 years before Jesus was born, the Lord will give you a sign, a virgin will conceive. You say, how's that possible? I'll tell you in a minute. A virgin will conceive uh, and give birth to a son, and you will call his name Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So 700 years before he was born, an impossible prediction was made. The prophet saw the first Christmas, and through his eyes he saw that there was a virgin that God would cause to be pregnant, and God himself would come to dwell among us. Jesus in the flesh lived a perfect life, fully identified with our sins, identified with all of our temptations, yet, yet literally remained pure and holy and spotless and qualified as a sacrifice for our sins. If you will read, in, and this is mentioned in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Matthew, it, it, it was written to Jews. It has more uh, prophecies that were fulfilled from the Old Testament. As you read through the book of Matthew, you'll literally find dozens of prophecies that were made about the life of Jesus, not only his birth, but about the life he would live, about the death he would die, even down to the fact that they would not tear his garment. I mean, it's amazing at what was prophesied. Isaiah gave us this tremendous prophecy. Unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, and of his government there will be no end. Well, how many know Jesus is the King of kings and he is the Lord of lords? And how many know he is coming back one day, not as a baby in a manger, but he's coming back literally to rule this world for all eternity. You can look at the book of Micah, for example, Micah chapter 5, the town of Bethlehem. This small village was picked out as the birth of Jesus Christ. So prophets, through their eyes, saw what we call as Christmas, not only the birth of Christ, but the events of his life. And if you're an agnostic, if you're someone that's just kind of not sure about Christianity, I would consider the fact that fulfilled biblical prophecy is one of the greatest evidences of the validity of the Bible that there are. That Christianity is not just for people that, you know, are scared and foolish and stupid, but Christianity, come on now, is for thinking people and rational people, reasonable people, because how I many know accidents don't happen 700 years apart? There is a deliberateness. Our weatherman cannot, could not even predict rain that was supposed to fall. Come on. I plan my yesterday and my today around the weatherman, and he or she was wrong. 
And if they cannot even figure out two days in advance, but God can project hundreds of years in the future, come on, that should be something that should put a shout on our lips today, friends. Let's keep going now, and let's talk about Christmas through the eyes of Mary. Now, we don't know how old Mary was born, but let's just imagine she's 16, 17, 18. She's a young girl, and an angel appears to her in Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, verse 30, an angel appears to Mary and said, listen, something that's incredible. And this will probably be the most applicable part of the message today because we can apply what we learn from Mary into our lives. The angel told Mary, you have found favor with God. Now, I don't know about you, but I want God to smile on me. I want God to smile on my health. I want him to smile on my source of income. I want him to smile on our church. I want him to smile on our home. I want him to smile and protect us as we ride. She found the favor of God. The angel declared, you'll give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. And Mary asked the question, and there was not this sense of, that's not logical, that's not understandable or reasonable like Zechariah had, but hers was one of anticipation. It's like, well, how's this going to happen? And then she said, I'm a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. This is not a picture, as we understand, of human sexual intercourse, but somehow God himself implanted the seed of Christ God was placed into the womb of a woman. Christ the Son left heaven, came to earth to be born of a woman. And, and he'll be called the Son of God. Now, this is one of the great distinctives of Christianity is that we understand and believe that Jesus was not just a historical figure. He was not just a good guy or a good teacher, but he literally was God incarnate. And if you want to understand what God is like, Look at Jesus as the Son of God. Uh, and then, verse 37, probably my favorite, nothing will be impossible with God. Remember her question, how is this going to happen? Nothing's impossible with God, but I like the way the NLT translates it. The Word of God will never fail. The prophecy of Isaiah, a virgin bringing forth a child, this will never fail. And listen to what Mary responded. This is very important for us. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Now, Mary has such esteem that in the Catholic Church, it's called Mariology. It's almost a, it, well, it is a belief in Mary uh, that I think exceeds the bounds of the New Testament. But this person, Mary, I don't know about you, but I want God to favor my life. And there's a lesson that we can learn here why God chose Mary. Now, listen, I doubt you are going to have a baby if you've had a hysterectomy. If you've had, you know, whatever, your tubes tied or, 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 or if you've never been with a man, it's doubtful that you're going to have a baby. But miracles can happen in our lives. God can use us to do spectacular things on the scope like Mary. And here's three things why. Number one, she lived a life of holiness. How do you know that, Pastor? Well, she was a virgin that implies purity. It implies godliness. And you'll find as you read, John the Baptist's parents were described as righteous and devout. A man named Simeon, 
that we'll read about was used of God. He was described as a righteous, devout man. So there's this sense of, of character, of value, of choices, of holiness was the first reason she was learned. But the second and third reason, verse 38, Mary responded, I'm the Lord's servant. And then she said, may everything you've said come true. So there's two things we can pick up here. If I want to be used of God in a significant way, I have to be willing to serve the Lord. I was speaking to a pastor that we uh, heard from earlier and has left a, a, a nation in the Middle East because they kill Christians. <laughs> they don't want Christians around anymore. And it's particularly gotten worse since the war with Israel. And America is at least in, in, in words to a degree a supporter of the nation of Israel. Well, the Muslims hate Israel. There's this war that began in the book of Genesis between their two. And yet they go back over there. And I asked them, or they told me when people said, why do you go back over there? As they said, we go to tell people that Jesus loves them. And we don't fail to go because fear stops us, but because God has called us to serve him. And that's what we're going to do. That should be the heart of all of us. We're a servant of the Lord like Mary. And then this third thing, when she said, uh, may everything you've said about me come true. Uh, uh, there's this sense that the impossible is possible with God. And that's a life lesson that I want to communicate to you through the life of Mary. With God, nothing will be impossible. Dorothy's raising a, her grandson that was supposed to have been dead already, that was supposed to have been institutionalized, but she's been able to help him in his deficiency and believes for his total healing. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible with God. I, I, a dear friend was diagnosed with cancer this week. And rather than just writing out her will, she began to seek the prayers of God's people, believing that nothing is impossible with God. When I think of nothing is impossible with God, let me tell you what I think about. I've been dreaming for probably 10 years about our church being able to invest a, a, a million dollars a year in outreach and missions outside the walls of our church now, beyond our youth group and beyond the things that we do here. But we would be able to send a million dollars. And you say, well, how in the world? Uh, I announced at our Christmas party uh, to our committed servants uh, last week, we're already this year at $1.2 million. It's a... Well, how does that come? Well, we tithe, we give, you give, people go, and all of a sudden we reach 1.2 million and the year is not even over yet. And that's not salaries and overhead, that's just investing, I don't know what it is, it's over $2,500 a day and taking the gospel outside the walls of this church. You say, Pastor, how in the world is that possible when COVID shut the world down? Come on now. Just a number. How long ago was it? 18 months ago? Not very long ago? How is it possible to be here with a big building note and be given over a million dollars? I'll tell you how. Nothing is impossible with God. 
when God speaks, when God gives a word, when God gives a dream, when God places ambition in your heart, nothing can stop it but you. Do not let Satan whisper in your ear and tell you, I cannot do it. Do not let him take fear, try to squelch you and hold you back. If God speaks to you, declare it from your lips, act on it, put your money in it, and believe that God will do what he promised to do. Come on, because he's a faithful God. And that's the message of Christmas through the eyes of Mary. Let's keep going now. And I want to look at kind of the the flip side here. Christmas through the eyes of a man named Herod. Now, Herod was a Roman puppet king over this part of the Roman Empire. He was more Roman than he was. He was a Jew, but he was governing the Jew. I believe he was a Jew. But anyway, he was a guy, and his name was Herod, and he he, he ruled that part of the world. Uh, honey, help me figure that out before in the morning. Will you do that with me? Okay. I see I've lost my place already. But let me say this. Herod's going to show us something that's deeply saddening and troubling. Not everybody is excited about Christmas. And I'm not just talking about Scrooge. I'm talking about those. Well, let me read what Herod did. You remember, and this is after the birth of Jesus, The wise men came. They're called wise men. They're called the magi. They were perhaps astrologers. They saw the star in the east that led them to Jerusalem. Well, these rich wise men came, and they asked this King Herod. They said, where is he who was born the king of the Jews? So here, baby Jesus, we're clapping and celebrating as a fulfillment of Moses' prophetic declaration. And Herod says, I don't want any competition for the king of the Jews. So what he did is he told the Magi, he lied to him. He said, you come back and you tell me when you find him. They searched from the prophet Micah, realized it was the town of Bethlehem. The Magi went there, but they were warned not to go back to tell Herod because it was a deception. Herod got so angry that he had every boy in the region of Bethlehem that was two years old and younger killed. So what is the message that we learn from this? There has always been and there will always be satanic opposition to God's plan. This heel biting of what Satan did was not just to Jesus on the cross, but it's to Christians. It is to those that are followers of God. There is this spirit, this antichrist, demonic, satanic spirit that wants to squelch everything to do with Christmas. It influenced the Supreme Court in the 60s to misinterpret the the separation of church and state. Hence, mangers were taking off the lawns. I can remember as a boy still seeing mangers on the courthouse lawn. But uh, it, it goes so crazy today that some schools don't even, well, certainly they don't want to sing Christmas carols, Christ mass songs, but they don't even want kids to wear red or green. I mean, at some point you got to scratch your head and say, where does this hatred, this resistance against the savior of the world come from? Well, I tell you friends, it comes from Satan himself. And he's been doing it since the beginning. Uh, remember when Moses was born? Uh, uh, Moses was going to be a deliverer. Uh, there were too many Hebrew children. So in Moses' era, uh, uh, Pharaoh had all the young male children, Jews, killed. It's the same spirit that's behind abortion today. Kill the children. Kill the children. This is Satan. The Bible says he came to what? Steal, kill, kill and to destroy. 
You know, what did he do to Judas? He used greed with Judas. He used jealousy with the Jews to crucify Christ. So what am I trying to tell you? I'm trying to tell you 1 Peter 5, 8. Stay alert. The Bible says, watch out for your enemy. The devil, he's prowling, prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And my friend, it is you and it is me. And I had a little encounter. If I could just shake you just a little bit. I had a little encounter with this yesterday. I have been uh, uh, endeavoring to reach people on social media. And I, uh, I typically record a number of, you know, little things I feel like the Lord gives me uh, at one time. And I was going to record a batch yesterday afternoon, and I absolutely couldn't do it. I just, you know, part of it was physical. I'd studied all morning long. I had a lunch appointment with somebody, and I came back and I finished my sermon. And I just didn't have the, uh, whether you want to call it inspiration or emotional capacity or whatever it was, I just couldn't do it. And it got me depressed. It was like something just came on me to silence me, to shut me down. I just felt like I had failed. I had these feelings of, of, of discouragement. I, I had these thoughts. I woke up this morning, and I felt the exact same way. And I felt that way not only about trying to do those little spots for social media, but about our sermon for this weekend. But you know what I did? I recognized it was a spiritual attack. My wife recognized it was a spiritual attack. So when I got out of the bed, I went up, I read my Bible, I began to pray. I began to walk around my outside little prayer path, praying in the Spirit for a while. And all of a sudden, that, prayer, that thing broke off my life, and I recorded 21 spots, come on now, to be able to put out that had a sense of God on them. So what am I saying? We, there is an enemy that wants to bite our heels. The promise in Romans is one day we're going to crush him under our feet. But until that day, my friend, you are in a spiritual battle. Don't give up because greater is he that is in us, come on, than he that is in the world. Give the Lord a good hand. Let's look at another one, and this is particularly interesting. I had an experience this week that I think you're gonna, it's going to put a smile on your faith, face, but I call this Christmas through the eyes of Anna. Now, this is 40 days after Jesus' birth. He was circumcised on the eighth day, but then there was a, 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 what was called a season of, of purification. And at the end of 40 days, Jesus was brought back to the temple. Well, Luke chapter 2, verse 36, Anna, and she is a prophetess. Uh, uh, this, and this, in my mind, validates the role of a, 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 of a woman being able to be used by God in a profound way. But uh, Anna is a prophetess in the temple. And notice it says she's very old. Her husband died when they had been married only seven years. Now, typically, you were married earlier then than in our, our world today. But let's just imagine for a moment, she got married at 18, and she was married till 25, and her husband had an accident or disease and died. So she's a widow at 25, and now she's 84. What is that? Uh, 59 years. She lived in hardship. She lived in, because in their culture, they didn't have Social Security. In their culture, unless you had children to take care of you in your old age, you were in heap big problem. You'd be holding a sign on the streets begging for money. So here we've got a woman that in spite of her hardship, in spite of her suffering, notice what it says. She never left the temple 
that would be their church, but she stayed there day and night worshiping God with fasting and prayer. Now, that's just like, you know people, and I won't, I won't, I won't, I won't call names, but it's kind of like every time the church doors are open, they're here. Every time there's a prayer meeting, they're at the prayer meeting. Every time there's a call, for example, like Pastor Mike, and this, this, this will help you. If you want to touch something extra special, go to one of these sidewalk Sunday schools this week. If you didn't get it in your bulletin, it's in the lobby on a little handout. But it'll go and you'll see these kids coming out of the apartment buildings that every week we're going down there in the school year. And Pastor Mike's leading a team and is just like a Sunday school class. They have fun. They eat some snacks. But then they learn Bible songs. They learn the Pledge of Allegiance. They learn about Jesus Christ. They have an offer of salvation. So you're able to go down and, and, and touch that. But, but Anna was a woman like that. You know, she's just someone who's involved, someone that's serving. She's a part of the house of the Lord. Um, uh, so what is the lesson from this? And, and this, I think, is somewhat significant, particularly for us as we age. As we age or suffer hardship, we become more aware of our need for God. Now, let me say that again. As we age or suffer hardship, we become more aware of our need for God. The grayer your hair gets, the more you realize tomorrow may not be like today. When you're 20-something years old, 30-something years old, you mock people who take medicine. You've never taken a Tylenol in your life, and you're healthy and strong, and you can do anything, and you go to the gym, and you lift weights, and you can run the marathon and everything else. But it comes a time in your life where you realize, I can't do what I used to do. I used to complain to my doctor when I would go in. I said, I just can't work out in the hot sun like I used to. I mean, when I was a kid, you know, you're up at daylight and you're out in the hot sun all day long. And, and that's just the way your life was. And I just can't do it anymore. And he had the gall to tell me I'm getting older. <laughs> but age plus hardship. You take that same 20-year-old and let them face cancer or a job loss or bankruptcy or something. It makes us aware of our need for God. And this is what I want to kind of bring to you just a minute to learn something. Because this awareness should translate into an eagerness to serve God and be with Him like Anna. You see, Anna in her retirement years, listen, I'm all for having fun in retirement. I'm all for enjoying life, saving up so you can see the world and do all those things. I think they're wonderful. I envy people that are able to do that all the time. But there's got to be more than we retire, come on now, than just have fun and rest. There's something about the message of Anna. Anna invested these golden years in the kingdom of God. And sought to be close to him. And let me tell you the story that I was going to tell you. This, this, this made a tremendous impact on me. But we had our staff Christmas party, uh, when was it, uh, last Tuesday. And we went downtown. We ate at a restaurant. It was just really, really nice. We celebrated the year and celebrated one another. Well, on the way back, uh, I, had to, I, I, I was coming up state line. And as I'm coming up state line, on almost every street corner, there's a, there's a person Many of them had mental illness. They're holding signs. They want money, you know, and it just kind of just makes you feel bad and sorry for the person, whether they're a crook or, or whether they're being true. But then I pulled up in a gas station. It's a true story. And I saw this woman going through the garbage cans, pulling out aluminum cans. 
Now, my first thought is like yours. Well, at least she's doing something to try to earn some money to make a living. Well, I pulled out, you know, some money out of my pocket, and I was going to give it to her. And I went up to her, and she says, oh, I don't want your money. She said, I've got a car. That's my car right over there. And you can see I've got nice clothes. I've got a home that I live in. And I'm thinking, well, what in the world are you doing here picking up cans? She said, I make extra money this way, and I buy devotion books for Christians, and I give Christian literature to people that I meet. And it rocked my world. Now, she didn't have a brand-new car, you understand? She was dressed in a nice and decent fashion, but she obviously didn't have extra money, so she's getting cans for Jesus, and she's giving these little books. And I'm telling you, it made a profound impact on me. Anna was the same type person, and I think this is a good way to view Christian or view Christmas through ancient eyes. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. I want to give you one more, and then we'll close. But it's Christmas through the eyes of a man named Simeon. And Simeon is in the temple the same time Anna was. It's 40 days after Jesus was born. So it's the Christmas season as opposed to just a day that that we celebrate Christmas. Well, Luke 2, Simeon, and again, notice the phrase, righteous and devout. That gets the attention of God, righteous and devout. But notice what he was eagerly waiting for. He was not just eagerly waiting for the Cowboys to go to the Super Bowl. Now, I hope the Cowboys will go to the Super Bowl. What is their record, by the way? Nine and three. Do you have your blue jersey on? Who said that? Well, I hope the boys are going. I remember when Tom Landry years ago, and they were America's team. I'm still for the Cowboys. My mom's for the Cowboys. But there's something more than I'm eagerly awaiting. I'm doing more than eagerly awaiting my next opportunity to go duck hunting or for turkey season to start. These are important things to me, but they pale in comparison. He's eagerly waiting for the Messiah. Now, Messiah means nothing to us, but by definition, it means the Christ, or here's the definition, the anointed one who would redeem the world. Jesus Christ. Jesus was his man's name, his human name, flesh. Christ was his spiritual name, Messiah, anointed one, the one that will redeem the world from their sins. Uh, He was waiting for the Messiah to come and rescue Israel. Now, their narrow view was this king would come, the Savior would come, and help the nation of Israel. They didn't recognize the broad consequences. But I want you to listen to verse 27. The Holy Spirit leads him to the temple. He took Jesus, baby Jesus, in his arms, and he said, Sovereign Lord, I have seen your salvation. I'm not just looking at a pretty, dark-haired, Middle Eastern-complected child. I'm looking at the salvation of God. These ancient eyes tell us that Christmas is more than a day. It's more than Santa. It's more than presents. But it is the salvation of the world through the conse- from the consequences of their sin. Because when you hear the phrase, well, you need to be saved. The question should be, saved from what? Saved, my friend, from the eternal consequences and judgment of sin. Because the Bible says the, the wages of sin is death. 
The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And here's your salvation, a baby. Notice what he says, which you've prepared for all people. He's a light to reveal God to the nations or the Gentiles, and he's the glory of your people Israel. So what is he saying as he's looking at this little baby, baby Jesus, 40 days old? What he's saying is simply this. He's the fulfillment of God's word to Moses. He's the one that's going to crush the head of Satan. He's the one that Isaiah talked about. He's the one that Micah talked about, born in the city of Bethlehem. He's the one that this crazy girl Mary that said God got her pregnant and she had to hide for a while. She's the one. Come on now. He is the Savior of the world. He is Jesus Christ. He is the hope of eternal life. And that, my friend, is Christmas through ancient eyes. Come on, somebody give the Lord a big hand. Well, listen, I want to close with this, and I want to close with, with, with a prayer because this last life lesson, it's number eight, is, is simply this one. Jesus was born on Christmas morning to be the Savior of the world. But just because he's the Savior of the world, let's get personal. That does not mean everyone will be saved. And here's the question I want to ask you. Not just is Jesus the Savior of the world, but is he my Savior? Now stay with me on this one. If you've gone thoughts to Taco Bell or whatever else, forget the taco just a minute. Is he my Savior? Because let me read a verse. It'll be my last one. John 1, 12. Jesus himself, Scripture says, To all who received him and believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Salvation from our sins is the ultimate Christmas gift. It is the ultimate gift a person could receive at any time in their life where they would be saved from the consequences of sin. Because of what Jesus Christ did on a cross 2,000 years ago, this young baby was born to die. And he grew up to willingly give his life on the cross for your sins and yours and yours and yours and mine. Every person that lives in Pakistan, Afghanistan, Israel, Africa, Ethiopia, wherever, every human being that's ever lived in time, Jesus Christ wants to restore to God. But the question is, is he your Savior? Now, I was raised in church. I'm glad Mom made me go to a country Methodist church. I always believed in Jesus, but that didn't make him my Savior. You say, Pastor, I don't understand. Biblical belief implies action. If the fire alarm were to go off in this building, beep, 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 if you believed it, you would act. If you happen to have on your phone one of those little fancy cameras at your house that, that you can see who's ringing your doorbell and you see somebody in a mask that's there and you believe that, you're going to get out of your chair, run in the lobby and call the police. Because biblical belief always compels action. And the word the Bible talks about is the word repentance or turning to God. And if I will believe in my heart... In Jesus. You say, what does that mean? I believe that Jesus literally came from heaven 
He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. He was sacrificed willingly on the cross for my sins. He was buried in the ground for three days, and on the third day he rose from the dead. And he gave us the promise that those who would believe in him, though we die, yet shall we live. And it is that Jesus who overcame death is seated at the right hand of God the Father. If I believe that in my heart, and listen now, if I turn to follow him and commit myself to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you, my friend, will be adopted in the family of God. You will be a child of God. You will have received the salvation that only God can offer. But I leave the choice with you right now. Because I would like to pray for you today if you would like to receive this gift. How I many know oh, just because somebody buys a, has a gift for you doesn't mean that you're going to get it? Maybe you get a call from Grandma, and Grandma says, Baby, I got, a, I got a Christmas present for you. Come by the house when you get a chance. But you're busy on Christmas Day, too busy to go to Grandma's house, and she couldn't get out. Maybe she was in the nursing home. But she's got a present waiting there for you. Maybe you got to get back to college. Maybe you're going hunting or on a, a trip or something. Well, that present is yours sitting in her house. You have to go to her house. And she throws her arms around you and she says, Baby, I'm so glad you're here. Come look what your grandma got you. And you open that present and it becomes yours. Spiritually, we do the same thing in becoming a Christian. How do we receive Jesus as our Savior? It's simply through our prayers and our commitment and decision to follow Jesus Christ. And if you would like to pray tonight, we want to pray for you. In just a moment, I'm going to ask this question, would you like to get right with God? Do you believe in Jesus and would you like to make a decision today that you're going to follow Him? And if you do, I'm going to go section by section. I'm going to ask you to do something very bold. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. You say, well, why are you going to do that? First of all, because people are going to clap, because they're going to rejoice with you, because you're committing your life to Christ. But number two, here's something. A decision for Christ is this, that. It's not just in your head. It's manifest in everyday life. If you're not willing to live for Jesus on Monday morning, come on now, don't answer this altar call. If you're not willing to follow Jesus... Don't say, yes, I want prayer. Because we have to turn our life to follow Jesus Christ. And my friend, it will be the best decision you've ever made in your life. So I'm going to start this far section over here and ask the question, is anyone over here would like to receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and become a Christian today? Would you just lift your hand, anyone in this section, say, pray for me. I'd like to give my life to Christ. Here's two men. Give them a big hand today. God bless you. God bless you. Anyone in this section today say, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ today. I want to get right with God. It may not be the first time you prayed this prayer. You might have gotten away from God. But my friend, you can recommit your life to Christ today. Anyone here say, pray for me. Anyone here say, pray for me. Give her a big hand today. God bless you, dear. Every step to God is the right step. Anybody else say, pray for me. Give her a big hand today. God bless you. God bless you. You're among friends today. Anyone here today, say, pray for me. Give her a big hand in the back there. God bless you, dear. God bless you. That's five, I think. Anyone else, say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God. Anyone here, say, pray for me. I want to get my life right with God today. How about this last section? Pray for me, Pastor. I want to get my life right with God. Well, let's give all these people that lifted their hands a big hand today. This is your step. Your step towards Christ. Why don't we stand to our feet right now? 
And I'm going to ask all of you that raise your hand, come to the cross now, make your second step, and let us pray for you to invite Christ in your life. Come on right now, you that lifted your hands, come on up, let us pray for you. You can bring a friend with you right now, bring your spouse with you. Come on, give another big hand as they're coming. That will encourage them to come. And even if you didn't raise your hand, but you want to get right with God today, come on up to the front, come to the cross, let one of our pastors pray for you. And listen, friend, it will be life changing. Give this man a big hand. We're proud of you, buddy. God bless you. God bless you, buddy. We're proud of you today. We're glad you're here. Well, listen, we've had a great uh, a great service. We're thrilled you're here. Uh, uh, hope to see you maybe Wednesday night. But I think our missionaries from Pakistan, they'll be in the lobby if you just want to go shake their hands and, and uh, just thank them for the work that they do. But we're going to have one last song. Our prayer team will come back. If you want prayer for anything, they'll be here for you. God bless you. I love you. Let's begin to sing this last song.